Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to world language educators across the nation seeking information about issues relevant to teaching and learning of world languages. Each month, we'll be talking to educators, researchers, or advocates for world language learning. Language Talk is a partnership between the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky, designed to showcase the importance of global citizenship. Welcome to Language Talk KWA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, and today's topic is advocacy. Throughout the years, my understanding of advocacy and my perception of what I should do to advocate for not only the language I taught, which was French, but for world language learning as a whole has really changed. Early in my career, you know, as a new teacher, I focused on my immediate environment, thus how to expand my program. That was always my first concern. This included educating those around me as per the value in learning a world language in French. I targeted my colleagues by collaborating with them, my administrators by sharing state data on French businesses and being the strongest world language teacher I could be, and I worked with my students' parents as per what French could do for their child in a future career, and as well with my students by helping them develop a sincere interest in French language and Francophone cultures. But as I grew as a teacher and throughout the years, my interest in advocating for world languages spread to include state-level initiatives. This included becoming involved in our state organizations and eventually this podcast series. My point is every teacher is on a trajectory, and the role of advocacy on this trajectory can and will change. The question becomes, what will you do to advocate for your program, your language, or world languages as a whole? Joining me to discuss the dynamic topic of advocacy are multiple guests, including a professor, a toy, and a committee chair. So to start with, we have our podcast producer, Dr. Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby, Professor of Russian Studies and Folklore at the University of Kentucky. Hello, Jean-Marie. Hello, Laura. How are you doing today? Not bad. Good. Now, Jean-Marie, as an educator at the university level, you kind of have a different view on things than maybe I might uh, being at the K through 12 le level. And also your department chair of modern classical languages, literatures and cultures at UK. So that puts you in an additional role for advocacy. What does advocacy mean to you? How would you describe it to somebody? Well, I agree with you that obviously our two main audiences in the immediate surroundings are our students and their families. So we have to give our students the wherewithal to defend their choices, uh, to do language study, and to be activists themselves. We actually have a class that's dedicated to this topic now as part of our major. But the other thing we have to do is deal with the administration, who often uh, misunderstands the nature of language education, uh, particularly ancient languages, and what is the goal in studying them. Right. Uh, but most importantly, and the reason we got involved in this podcast, and the reason that I'm on the KWLA board in the state, is precisely because if we do not form a unified front to counter the all too frequent and unfortunate attacks on language education that all of us face, not just Kentucky teachers, uh, our profession is at risk. Right. Uh, so I work very hard every time there's anything having to do with language education to contact every 
legislator that I can to make sure they know that professionals in the field have standards and uh, there are professional goals that our students meet because of their language education. Right, and if you don't mind, I wanna backtrack to something because I think my son's actually in the course that you're talking about. Um, can you tell us for a second, what is this new course UK's done? Sure, it's called the World of Language and it has two goals, the freshman core course or an introductory core course for people who are majors and minors in the languages or in foreign language and international economics or international studies or Hispanic studies. And the idea is to first provide them with information about how languages work so that they become better language learners. To provide them with information about how you acquire a first language so that they understand the procedures for acquiring the second, third, or fourth, depending on who they are. And also to discuss language policy and attitudes toward language so that they are, and cultural studies, so that they're better prepared um, to be a voice for the right. language that they study because they all love their language, but they don't think about the bigger picture necessarily, including things like English-only movements and... Right, it's almost like you're grooming little advocates. Yeah. And I think that's pretty special. That's how I saw the course. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. And, you know, my son, who is a French minor, came home asking me, he's like, what about this pyramid thing that's upside down? And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and we've had some really good discussions about language learning. So I think it's pretty neat. Good. So cool on that. Um, not to use fancy terms there. Now, when you are dealing with administration, Mm -hmm. and trying to encourage colleges to really embrace world language learning. You mentioned kind of them not understanding. Mm -hmm. Is it because, in your opinion, is it because they're still situated in when they went through world language 30 years ago and their perception of world languages back then or are they anti-world language? Can you maybe pinpoint why are they not understanding? Well, it depends on the administrator. Okay. Uh, some believe that language education was bad because they had bad language education. Um, some believe that um, it doesn't produce any good professional results uh, for students. Uh, they don't know the research on it and they underestimate the range of our discipline. Uh, they think we, we, and we do, we all know, uh, study verbs and adjectives, um, but the questions of cultural appropriateness, the questions of cultural awareness mm -hmm. at all levels of culture elude them. They don't see that that's part of our job. That goes to departments like anthropology. Right. But of course, that's the heart of everything that we do. So it seems like you're, knowing you well, you're pretty analytical mm. and you like to get down to the root of why. You, you always look at the why of something. So for anyone listening and if they happen to be at an upper level or they're they're at k-12 and their administrators not supporting them i i guess we could suggest to them find out why yes. what's behind the thinking and then you know how you can address right? exactly yeah and rely on networks right. the networks um that we have on the outreach clearinghouse for faculty at universities in the um, state and also the kwla itself is a strong network. Right. And as a classroom teacher, I know I always got tunnel vision. What's happening in my room, it's hard to look outside the doors and think of my program outside the walls. And um, one other thing I do want to mention is you have tapped into the alumni that um, have come through UK, whether they were majors or minors in a world language, and you've pulled this group together to do different goals. We're still working on what the mission is for the group, but you did mention early on to the board that um, 
advocating mm-hmm. and being a voice for us for world language learning in Kentucky is going to be one of the roles. And, you know, anything you want to mention on that? Too? Yeah, it's good that you brought that up because it's a new initiative and it emerges out of this concern for making sure that people who are gainfully employed in a wide variety of fields across the country who were majors in French, Chinese, Russian, uh, foreign language and international economics, regardless of what language they did, they bring uh, a passion for languages and also can serve as resources for our current students and as a voice. Right. When recently in Kentucky, a few years ago, they wanted to allow computer programming to be considered world language, to meet world language standards. Uh, One of the most passionate voices was a member of the alumni board who was a lawyer here in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, who was a French major and who wrote an amazing Mm -hmm. uh, letter to the paper, to the editor, uh, saying, French allowed me to do my job. Right. So this this is um, an important component for saving a program. So today we're trying to just open up teachers' eyes to, you know, think outside the classroom what you can do to promote. And and I really like what you shared. Uh, Joining us by phone, so we apologize if the quality is a little lower than normal. Joining us by phone is someone who we really don't need to uh, introduce, but we will because nobody can see him. We have a teacher of Latin. He is the 2016 Actful Teacher of the Year, so that is a big to-do for us. And it is Dr. Edward Zero, but we love to call him Ted. Hello, Ted. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Wonderful. Just fine. We appreciate you joining us and uh, being patient as we work on our technical difficulties getting you on. So we appreciate it. But today... No worries. I'm really, really excited to be with you today. And I was excited to be with you at the KWLA last fall. I mean, Kentucky's really doing some amazing things when it comes to language advocacy. Well, we appreciate that. We think we are. Um, Ted, many of our listeners are familiar with you, but for those who haven't met you and and heard about your wonderful um, achievements and bringing Latin to life and outside the classroom, which I always love seeing, um, is there a chance you could maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background so if there's someone who doesn't, you know, hasn't experienced who you are, they get to learn you a little bit better before we get into advocacy? Of course. Oh, yes, as I, as I often say, I'm well-known in extremely small circles, so I really appreciate that introduction. Um, you know, I have, I've always wanted to be a classicist, and the teachers who had the greatest influence upon me really throughout my life were my high school Latin teachers. Um, I will always feel as though I have an impoverished mind compared to what it was that they were able to express to me. And I knew, I think, coming out of high school that I really wanted to be a Latin teacher. Uh, It was those teachers that really made me think about the world in which I lived in a different way. But getting there was kind of strange. I definitely took the road less traveled by. My my first gig was actually at the University of Oklahoma, where I was working for the, as, as the special assistant to President Boren and someone who's no stranger to world languages and supporting world languages itself. And I was a special assistant to him. They had lost several people in their classics department. And so I ended up teaching uh, college-level courses in Latin, mythology, Roman history when I was around 23. And the, it, was, it was definitely trial by fire. Uh, I was left with some lectures of around 200 people with no TAs. I was designing curriculum 
you know, long before I had any idea what I was supposed to be doing, what books I was supposed to be choosing. I think I was observed once in the first three years that I was teaching. Nice. So I learned what worked and I learned what didn't. Um, and it was an incredible experience. I also learned how to build and connect with students in a positive way um, and try to begin to take the language outside of the classroom, which is something that you guys have been able to, uh, to discuss already. From there, I decided that I wanted to be a university teacher. So I went to, I went to Oxford and I got a master's uh, in Greek and Roman history from Brazenose College, Oxford. Uh, I then returned to Boston College because I wanted to get my Greek a bit better. So I got a master's from Boston College in Latin and Greek. And then I went uh, back to Yale, which is where I did my undergrad. And I was there from 2003 to 2007. And I was, I focused on ancient history, but also intersections between language and history and epigraphy and papyrology and coinage. And I, I really wanted to be a generalist specialist so that when I got into the classroom, I'd be able to draw from all different kinds of experiences. And when I completed my PhD, and I cast I cast a very wide net, uh, suggesting that I really, I took teaching very seriously, I took pedagogy seriously, I was excited about research and publication, but really my focus was on the classroom. At the time, I was not rewarded for that at the university level, mm. but at the high school level near where I live, uh, outside in metro Boston area, I live in the city of Boston, but I teach just outside of it, uh, I was rewarded, and this will be my 11th year teaching Latin at Westwood High School in Westwood, Massachusetts. Okay, that was impressive. <laughs> I don't know what else to say to that. Um, wow. You guys are so funny. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love the list of colleges. Yeah, I went to, where'd you go? Yale. Oxford, yeah. Oxford, yeah, whatever. Okay, so thank you, Ted. We now know why you were chosen as the National Teacher of the Year for World Languages. Um, in that role, you were probably called upon to advocate quite a bit. And I kind of, before we get into that, I want to find out what does advocacy mean to you? What's your understanding of advocacy as a world language educator? Um, for me, advocacy is, is kind of a lens through which I look at a lot of the aspects of what it is that I do. And I like the way that you prefaced it at the beginning of the at the beginning of the broadcast, where you suggested that it begins in the classroom and it begins to permeate all the things that you do, and it extends from the individual to the classroom to the school community to the wider community to the state and national level, and that's really what it's all about. I think each of those roles in it is incredibly important. I, I have said it before and I'll say it again, I still believe that the classroom teacher is the linchpin to successful foreign language or world language advocacy in this country. It's what mm -hmm. we do in our classroom every day. And that's really where we ought to focus. We ought to focus with our students and what it is that we share with them. I mean, we're talking about, in many ways, reframing a narrative, reframing a narrative and a vision of America that is bilingual. Mm -hmm. Because it is a myth that knowing English and that English only is enough. It's a myth. When we look at the actual, when we look at the facts about that 75% of the world population is never going to learn the English language, when we think about how it is that we are going to be in a position uh, to have influence on the global community in a positive way, 
when 96% of the population lives outside of this country. We really need to be thinking about languages and be making it a part of American culture, which it really is. Mm -hmm. It's just a question of how people want to view it. We look at statistics and data and the census from 2010, there were almost 400 different languages that were spoken in this country. And it's quite interesting when I encounter people, when I talk to people outside of the school community, or when I'm going to places like Washington, D.C., and I see my colleagues who are advocating and they're meeting in offices that traditionally are very conservative. And what happens is, often when they go into these offices, a vision of bilingualism is definitely at odds with a vision of some people's America. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate because what, which, what we really ought to be thinking about is saying that people, there are, I mean, there are over 60 million people who speak a language other than English at home right now in this country. There are more Spanish speakers in the United States than there are in Spain. So when we think about facts like that, we think about the idea that America is bilingual, America is multilingual, and our diversity is what makes us particularly strong. That's what makes us, I think that's what makes us who we are. And right now, when we look at what's going on in language classrooms uh, across the United States, people are really scrambling to make diversity, equity, and inclusion a central part, a central feature of what it is that we do. I argue that in language classrooms, that's what we do and what we have been doing since the time that we've been teaching these languages. This is at the core of what it is that we do. This is at the core of what it is that we value. And so the more people that we can reach, the more students that we can reach, how they then can have a positive impact in their communities by talking about what it is that is actually going on in a language classroom. Our profession thrives and I think we thrive really as, as a nation uh, and within the communities regardless of where we live. To your point earlier, almost no one who is making decisions about educational policy and who decide whether we're talking about curriculum coordinators or guidance counselors or people who legislate, almost none of those people had the experience that we are trying to afford our students in a language classroom today. I mean, there has been more research done in how we teach languages than any other field that's out there within the last probably two generations. I mean, you look at what's going on in science classes, you look at what's going on in, um, in English language arts, etc. Um, there's You can do some group work, there's some different ways of, of pairing people and making learning experiential, and that's great. But when I go and we talk to people at the Department of Ed or I talk to legislatures, I constantly invite them to see what it is that we do because they just don't know. And I think that that's a, a, it's an unfortunate fact. But when I go and I talk to them, I say, you know what, we weren't always aiming at the right target, but you know what, like, we're getting it right now, we're making incredible strides, uh, and you need to come and see what students can do with their language. I mean, it's, we are, in a couple of years, we'll never have to hear again that I studied language for four years and I still can't speak a word. Right. Those yes. days are soon to be over. Including in the Latin classroom. So it seems to me, Ted, that you have a double burden, or people who teach ancient languages have a double burden. Because you can point to the number of speakers of all of the languages that we teach. Latin has a tough road to hoe. I'm not saying 
you shouldn't study Latin. But how do you deal with that kind of advocacy when you're faced with uh, doubters? That's a great question, Jean Marie. I, I think that it's a question of you know why people study the ancient world in the first place. And I think you know we when I whenever I talk about the ancient world, I mean I, I, I love the ancient world. I love the stories, the fact that I can connect my I can connect the, the Latin language with the other other Romance languages with the English language. As a result of knowing how language works, I now because I study Latin, I can learn languages very quickly. Uh, I can read them. Mm -hmm. I can figure them out. Uh, the, the idea is that all the skills that you develop in learning these ancient languages, they can be applied outside of the ancient world. But then again, part of the whole point of studying ancient languages with this intercultural competence piece is to be able not just to reflect upon the ancient world, but to reflect upon modern society itself and to think, well, to think critically about why our institutions are the way that they are. I mean, we're studying the ancient world so they can think about the world in which they live in a completely new way. That's really the goal. It's about allowing opportunities for students to have that synthesis. And when we do that, when we get that right, when they graduate, they're able to, or really just having studied even for a year or two, they're able to do uh, incredible things, and they've thought deeply. My students often say that, and this is unfortunate, that's just a way that I think it's unfortunate students have fewer and fewer opportunities these days to be creative in almost any of their classes and to have really open-ended discussions about things. When we talk about why sometimes people why sometimes people are punished even though they even though they don't deserve it, are the gods just in all of these myths? Do they serve sort of uh, do they serve righteousness? Um, what is what does it mean to be virtuous? What is it that people value or really ought to value in relationships? Those are the kinds of questions that come about as a result of reading these ancient texts. Um, and that's a natural progression um, of, uh, of discussing the ancient world. And really, I try to make the ancient world come alive for my students. I mean, definitely, we, we speak more Latin and we talk more Latin than ever before. And as a result, we get to more so that we can have even more of these discussions, uh, broad-based discussions about the humanities and why they matter. Well, another thing it seems, um, you always hear the phrase to understand where we're going or where we are now, you have to understand your past. And it sounds like not only do you do that, but you also teach your students the critical thinking skills to be able to analyze on their own um, things around them. And that's quite valuable. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I usually joke with people when you say critical thinking skills, you know, people say, oh, how is Latin teaching, you know, 21st century skills? And I say, well, I'm teaching first century skills. Right? <laughs> um, That's thank good. You. I honor you for giggling at that. That's one of my prepared remarks. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it, but yes, it does. All of these skills are transferable. It teaches you how to understand language, how to think critically, how to act rationally, how to argue persuasively. Mm -hmm. And all of these things are incredibly important, regardless of the career or regardless of the field in which students will see themselves in the future. Right. So that is one way one could advocate. Yes. You know, if you're a Latin teacher, this is what I do on a regular basis. But, um, Ted, I want to ask you, when you were at Toy, and I assume once you wear that crown, you always have the crown, but when you were in the role that year, um, I'm sure you had a lot of experiences that um, you were called upon to advocate. Were there one or two that really stood out to you and you wanted to share? Sure. So, what um, when I went 
to the, I should say, we had incredible access to the Department of Education in that year uh, at the executive level. And when I was able to go to the Department of Ed with actual leadership, Marty Abbott, uh, the executive director, Pete Swanson was the president, uh, was the president when I was the teacher of the year, as well as the Massachusetts delegation. We were able to go and we were able to have a very candid conversation about the value of studying languages with the with uh, Secretary King, who himself was bilingual. He was from Puerto Rico, so he got it. And we were able to talk about specific strategies, both at the national and the state level, in terms of the seal of biliteracy, uh, that would be able really to push everybody forward and to try to, as I, as I talk about this vision of bilingualism, as, as of America as a, as a bilingual place. And I would say one of the coolest things ever was uh, maybe about two or three months later, uh, Secretary King happened to be visiting Boston where he was doing some recruiting in the metro schools, in the Boston metro schools, where he was talking about the fact that we need to do better in terms of recruiting teachers of color, regardless of whether they're teaching languages or not. And so he was standing there and he was in the airport, and I happened to be at the airport at the same time, and he was waiting in line. He had a security detail, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, state police officers, and a lot of people were, were standing around him sort of wondering, like, who, who is, is this? this? <laughs> big, tall man. He's wearing this big trench coat. He's got these stadies with him. I think a lot of people thought he was an athlete, but I'm kind of like, I'm like, that's the Secretary of Education. And someone says, oh, it is? Do you know him? And I said, yeah. So I just walked right up to him and I said, hi. Secretary King, how are you? Uh, uh, I'm a Latin teacher from uh, Western Massachusetts. Uh, I was the actual teacher of the year. He goes, yes, I remember Maureen in our office introduced us. Oh, wow. And that's when I realized the Secretary of Education knows who I am. A Latin teacher from Metro Boston area knows who I am. This is pretty amazing. So then I just chatted him up. And I think that when you're in an opportunity, I mean, we're as we say, we are all advocates as the, uh, one of the points you were just making. You know, you can't be afraid to go up and talk to just about anybody. Um, and you, know, you never quite know where that conversation is going to go. Most of people's misunder- most of people's fear or misunder- misunderstanding of foreign language is just that. It's a lack of knowledge about what right. it is that we do, what it is that we're trying to do with our students, and sometimes having the simplest conversations with people who at first might think like, oh, you know, why do that? You say, well, here are my student outcomes. And then they might immediately say, okay, I've never really thought about it that way. And when you approach people in a reasonable and professional way, uh, they usually open their eyes. And so there were a lot of opportunities to do that when I was the toy. But really a highlight was uh, meeting the Secretary of Education on two separate occasions. Well, that's pretty impressive. Um, now, the next question is kind of getting back to any suggestions you might have. You know, there's thousands of world language teachers in the United States. I'd love to know the fact on that. I don't. But there's got to be thousands, right? And only one gets to be chosen to be the actful toy. But for all the rest of us, what tips do you have for teachers to not only advocate within their own little school, their own little program, but do you have any suggestions on what teachers can do that kind of do the gamut of, well, if you want to start small, if you want to go big, and so on? Anything you want to share? 
Sure. Um, well, it's a good question you asked about how many language teachers there are. Uh, and of course and he knows it. Though we had some of the first data um, of that at the actual meeting in Nashville when Professor Ingersoll, who is a statistician from the University of Pennsylvania, was able to suggest that there are there are somewhere between eighty to ninety thousand wow. language teachers in the United States. Uh, now, what's really remarkable when we think about that is that actual, you know, uh, the American Council on Teaching of Foreign Languages, our national resource, has about anywhere from twelve to thirteen thousand members. So, to me, this means that outreach within our own communities and outreach within our own communities of teachers is a critical piece of advocacy that we often overlook. Because for every teacher that's out there who is focused on core practices, focused on intercultural competency, focused on doing everything they can to create a proficiency-based program with best practices in mind, there are still many teachers out there who do not. And those are the ones that we really, really need to reach. Whenever I travel around and I go to regional conferences or state conferences or especially national conferences, I see the same people there year after year after year. Uh, and we need to be able to cultivate, I think, an environment where people feel emboldened to sort of show off their own leadership capabilities and to step up into these roles where they can really have a voice and they can really, really make a difference. That's really when we good. think about, you know, the the individual, one of the best things that the Teacher of the Year program allowed me to do was to have the time and the wherewithal to really reflect about what mattered to me and what mattered to me most and what it is that I value. And I wish that we could set aside more time uh, at really every level for teachers to have an opportunity to reflect upon what matters to them and to really think about their own professional growth, I think, in a productive way. Uh, because when I had that opportunity, I then was able, to, I think, to have far better conversations with people and more productive ones, uh, ones in which I was able to engage them on a completely new level. I think also when we think about the, we think about advocacy as an individual inside the classroom, it, it really does, that's where I think it matters most. I think we have to offer our students a sense of play, we have to make learning experiential, we have to give them ownership of what it is that they're doing, and really have to take the learning outside of the walls. Third, I say it is important for all of us to be better educated regarding what's going on at the state and national level in terms of where it is that we get our funding. Because often when I'm talking to my colleagues and I'll say, hey, you know what, like so-and-so has such and such to say about Title IV Part A, mm -hmm. most of them don't know about that. Uh, and then I find myself in a position to say, here's why it matters. Here's why Title II matters. You know, here's why when we see these budgets that are put out uh, at the federal and the state level, this is why it's significant for us because it has an incredible impact upon the kind of programming that we can provide. Well, I, I'm trying to kind of jot down and summarize. So I picked up four major things you said, and, and everything you said was wonderful. So basically reach out, network to those world language teachers around you who might not be hooked in and involved, right? Uh, Absolutely. Reflection, 
you've mentioned that more than once, and I love you did that because a lot of the new evaluation system that's sweeping the United States deeply involves teacher reflection, and you really hit the nail on the head. But I liked how you kind of encouraged the listener to reflect on what's meaningful to you. And so, you know, if I think about me and what I want to do with advocacy, that'll help guide me better instead of being almost um, ADHD about it and trying to do everything. I can have a specific focus. And Absolutely. If we're trying to give our students ownership, we really need to give ourselves ownership of what it is that we do as well. Right. And then you mentioned nurturing your students in your classroom because they are the future advocates of the language. And finally, you mentioned uh, being aware of what's going on nationally, right? So staying up on things, yep. staying up so you can articulate when the situation happens and advocate um, for national initiatives. So those are really good tips, and I appreciate that. Um, one more question for you, and I think it's kind of a silly one to ask because it's quite self-evident listening to you, but um, making you self-reflect for a second what do you think, what attributes do you think you had that really earned you the recognition for Teacher of the Year? Because you had to beat out individuals who were probably very worthy at the state level, at the regional level, and then at the national level. So what do you think that really made you stand out and earn the recognition? Well, I, I did it a loaded question. Thank you so much. You know, you're no stranger uh, to the process yourself, I might add, okay, as a regional finalist. I mean, you were one of five vying for the national title yourself. I tied for so, runner-up. That's what I always tell. Tied for runner-up. Well, I, I would say that um, a couple things. Number one, I don't actually, uh, while I take my teaching very seriously, I don't take myself very seriously at all. Uh, and I'm not afraid to be able to have difficult conversations, and I'm not afraid of people who might disagree with me to be able to have a cordial and professional and respectful conversation. That's number one. Number two, I am a good public speaker. Uh, I enjoy public speaking. I enjoy talking with people. Um, I still, I, I, I joke with my students often that in classes that are small, and of course like a small class for us is, you know, like 25, uh, you know, I, I feel mm -hmm. lost. Uh, I, I almost feel as I would rather be able to thunder away at a podium. That's where my real yeah. strength is. Um, you know, sort of take off a shoe and bang it for a while, you know, that kind of thing, just to really get the crowd hyped up. Um, and I think that those, you know, not being afraid to have conversations, to understand, to, to, to have your convictions, to stand by them, but to be willing to listen to people because you never know where the best ideas are going to come from. I mean, those are, those are, those are the attributes that I think in my year uh, brought me some distinction. Well, that's a wonderful uh, description of yourself, and, and we appreciate it. Any parting advice to our listeners or words of inspiration you'd like to share? Again, I think that you know, what we do in the classroom, it's, it matters for our students in terms of being able to teach them that some humility and that there's not always one right answer, to teach them tolerance, that there are people with whom we disagree or people who might not look like us, and that's okay. And these are messages that they carry with them and they carry with them to their community, and that's really what's going to make all the difference in terms of making our world a better place. 
Wonderful. We appreciate your time, Ted, and thank you for working with us when we had some challenges getting you on. And we're just very honored that you took the time off and you're on break, right? So we appreciate yes, it. Yes, I am. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on break. I'm, I'm sitting in my dining room. I've spread out all my stuff on the table just behind the computer so you couldn't see it just in case. Uh, <laughs> my, my, stacks of, my stacks of papers where I've done some presentational writing on Hercules that I'm trying to bang through right now. So. <laughs> well, thank you, Ted. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thank Thanks, you so much. Ted. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. So the first step in becoming a national toy and being able to advocate for world language learning is to be recognized at the state level. Joining us is the chair of the KWLA Awards Committee, Ben Hawkins. How are you, Ben? I'm great. Thank you, Laura. We are so thankful that you took uh, time away from your students, which we don't recommend, but, you know, it was needed to do this podcast. And But we really are thankful that you uh, drove quite a while to be here and to talk to us about the toy process for Kentucky. Can you uh, start just sharing a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thank you for having me today. It's a great pleasure to be here with you all. Um, I am a French teacher at East Carter High School in Grayson, Kentucky. This is my 11th year at East Carter and my 13th year of teaching overall. I have served on the, K on the board of KWLA since 2010. First in the capacity of secretary, where I was then assigned to serve on two committees, um, the membership committee and the awards committee. I soon became the awards chair thereafter and then was moved from the membership committee over to the leadership committee. Mm -hmm. And I have served on these two, two committees ever since, even after my two-year term as secretary was completed right. in 2012. So um, I have been thoroughly enriched and extremely benefited from my membership and service to KWLA over the years. I love being a part of this organization because being um, a solo teacher, uh, the only world language yeah. teacher in my building, it's really hard. Uh, I don't get that camaraderie um, to meet with, you know, people like me on a regular basis. Do you, do you not have Spanish at no, your school? No, we do not. Wow. wow that's a and that was, a, there's a whole story there that I, I don't have time to get into today. But, um, yeah, it's, um, this is actually, that, this, that kind of situation kind of speaks to what uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Zero was talking about with uh, right. funding. And you know what we're able to provide. Um, so that's kind of a separate topic right there. Well, I mean, we could spend hours okay. talking about that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the situation that I'm in. I'm the only teacher in my building for world languages, um, and yeah, it's really tough, you know, being the only teacher like me. So well, I get that camaraderie when I come to right. KWA. Kudos for that because you know you're not unique. There are teachers who are the only ones in their their building. Their I hate to say so district. True. Um, but I'm sure there is a teacher who who's raising their hand going, it's me. I am the district world language educator. So, so being true. a part of an organization and network is critical for your own growth, for your students' growth, and so on. Absolutely. But as chair of the KWA Awards Committee, you oversee the process that recognizes the KWA world language toy. And I hate to use the word toy. Some people <laughs> don't like it. But teacher of the year. Mm -hmm. How does the road to toy begin in Kentucky? for a world language teacher? Well, it all begins with a simple nomination. That's uh, how it begins with all of our awards that we give out each year. Um, we, um, the thing you have to keep in mind is that we are 100% reliant on our members to send us their nominations. And before I go any further there, uh, there are a few things I need to cover. Um, when it comes to awards, a person can either nominate his or herself or be nominated by another person. But the thing that is absolutely essential is that whoever does the nominating, that person must be a member in good standing of KDBLA, have no outstanding 
uh, invoices or anything like that. Um, having said all that, the uh, Teacher of the Year process is a little different than how we go about nominating for our other awards categories, which I'll get to that in right. a moment. But it all starts with what language and at what level a person teaches. Uh, for example, if you teach a world language anywhere from elementary to eighth grade, to be nominated or the person nominating you, you will need to contact the president of the Kentucky chapter of NEL, which is the National Network for Early Language Learning. Um, you can do that by email, submitting the name of the person who's going to be considered for the award, the language or languages that that person teaches, the name of their school or organization, their email address, best contact phone number, and if it's another person who's doing the nominating, then we need their contact information as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, you start simple like that, just giving that information to the president of um, the Kentucky chapter of Nell. Um, and if you teach any level above eighth grade, from ninth grade all the way up to year 16 of college or university, then you will contact the president of the Kentucky chapter of the affiliate organization that corresponds to the primary language that you teach. So in Kentucky, we currently have six chapters of affiliate language teaching organizations. There's KAJLT, the Kentucky Association of Japanese Language Teachers, KACLT, the Kentucky Association of Chinese Language Teachers, KCA, the Kentucky Classical Association for Teachers of Latin, AATG Kentucky, or the Kentucky chapter of the American Association of Teachers of German, AATF Kentucky, or the Kentucky chapter of American Association of Teachers of French, which I belong to, I'm a proud member, and last but certainly not least, AATSP Kentucky, or the Kentucky chapter of the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese. So that's where it really begins, is contacting the leadership of those chapters. Um, the pres they usually have a structure where they have a president, a vice president, mm -hmm. a secretary, a uh, treasurer, and so forth. Um, and they work with KWLA. They work under the umbrella of KWLA, since we're all in this you know, uh, together. If you teach a language that is currently taught in the minority here in Kentucky, say, for example, Russian or Arabic, we actually had a candidate last year for Arabic for the first time ever, which was really exciting. And so we're asking our members to send us those nominations directly to the KWA Awards Committee. And the Awards Committee will then convene to review and consider all candidates without a home, so to speak, in terms of having a corresponding affiliate organization. Um, and that's basically the first step. Okay, so that information is on the website, correct? Oh, KWA's absolutely. website. Yes. I'll so if you want to, mm -hmm. let's say you are in French and you know someone in another county, you think they're doing phenomenal work, you can go to KWA's website, see who's listed as the president of ATF, and contact them that way. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to backtrack to something you said. I found it really intriguing. If you are a Spanish teacher mm -hmm. at a middle school, do you have to go through the NEL route, or what if you're a member of AATSP? So it, it's a little tricky. I think it really depends on which one you want to um, go with, really, okay. honestly. Um, NEL membership is totally optional, um, and so and, and conversely, so is AATSP. Right. Um, so it's just whichever organization you kind of throw your chips okay. in. Okay, you know? okay. Um, I, we, we definitely, I, I will just, if I could take a moment to advocate for NEL, I think NEL is a great organization. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to I see the membership. Member. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Well, I would love to see NEL grow because, you know, that is where we want to see growth 
primarily in world language education. We want to see more teachers from the kindergarten level all the way up until eighth grade because that is where we're hurting probably the most, I would say, um, in Kentucky. Um, and, uh, right, like any state. Yeah, here. like most states, right. Um, and people keep saying all the time, that's where we need to start learning languages mm -hmm. is at the elementary level. And I will go on board 100% as saying I totally agree with that. And so... Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean a person who's in the middle school has to go with now. If they want to go with ATSP, they can do that as well. Okay, so for someone who is nominating, and one can self-nominate, correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so what are, we heard Ted mm -hmm. talk about uh, the characteristics he felt like helped define who he was and helped earn him the National Teacher of the Year. Can you maybe share what characteristics we are looking for in the Kentucky Toy for World Languages? So earlier you mentioned the website. There is a great website for KWLA, which um, it's a very easy um, uh, URL address to remember, <laughs> kwla.org. At the top of the page, um, at the home page, there are tabs and one of them says awards. If you click, then a drop box will appear. And from there, you click on the Outstanding Teacher Award. And that will take you straight to our page that details everything that I'm basically sharing with you here. Mm -hmm. um, and at the top of that page, uh, Th there is where we've uh, put up there a kind of a bulleted list. It's a drawn up list of qualities that we feel best describe our teacher of the year. And I'll just run through those real quick. Um, we are looking for a teacher who um, frequently uses the target language in their instruction on a daily basis, on a very consistent basis, um, designs instruction to meet individual needs of all their learners, uh, designs and implements activities that meet the goals of the world readiness standards as set forth by ACTFL, engages students in cultural learning both inside and outside of the classroom, continuously seeks out opportunities to grow and improve his or her professional practice, stays actively involved in professional language teaching organizations like KWLA or their Kentucky chapter of the national organization uh, that they belong to, exhibits strong leadership skills through various experiences, presenting sessions, work, you know, facilitating workshops at conferences um, or locally uh, in their schools, Exhibits excellent verbal and written communication skills. Ted talked about um, how he is an excellent public speaker, mm -hmm. and I can attest to that. I have heard him speak on multiple occasions. Um, regular and effective advocate, advocacy efforts in their community um, when given the opportunity wherever they find themselves, you know, um, whoever they're talking to, for the advancement and enhancement of world language teaching for students at all levels. So that's just kind of a rundown of what we look for, um, qualities like that. Um, so if someone's listening and they heard, hey, that's me, self-nominate, please. We, <laughs> we love to have lots of teachers nominated. There's no embarrassment at all to self-nominate. I mean, look at Ben. He's the only one in his county. So, you know, <laughs> who's going to nominate him unless it's a colleague? Um, nearby or on the board or something like that. And we have, real quick, have had issues in the past with somebody wanting to nominate somebody and co they've contacted me and said, well, I'm not a member of KWA. I'm outside of right. the World Language Classroom and I want to nominate th this person. Um, it's kind of tough because we have set, you know, our parameters as a person who does the nominating has to be a member of KWLA. Um, but I kind of um, just tell them, you know, go back and tell that person, since they are a member, to go ahead and nominate themselves. That's right. basically how we handle that. Right, in their name, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so now once that nomination gets submitted, mm -hmm. what happens? What's the process? Um, well, we... Um, 
the next step is to get started on collecting what we call the required nomination evidence. And okay. that's just simply documentation in the form of letters of recommendation. We ask for the candidate to write an essay that talks about the importance of developing linguistic and cultural competencies. And then lastly, a curriculum vitae of no more than five pages. And um, these documents have to be submitted to the president of the uh, organization who receives the a nomination so that they can work within their leadership to choose their outstanding teacher of the year uh, for their organization. And that's basically the next step. Um, they will meet together and hopefully they'll have several candidates to choose from. Hopefully they'll have so multiple for, ones. So hold on. So for example, AATF might get four nominations. Yes. So the AATF president forms a little committee. Yep. They decide who's going to be the French teacher of the year. Exactly. Correct? That's so, exactly how okay. it works. That's a, the, that, puts it very clearly and uh, succinctly. Thank you. Um, that is what we are uh, hoping to see happen is that each affiliate organization will have an outstanding French teacher, their outstanding German, outstanding Japanese, mm -hmm. outstanding Latin, um, outstanding Nell. Um, and we have um, those categories already kind of listed, but keep in mind again, you know, there are teachers who actually teach languages that don't have an affiliate organization and we kind of add those on this, you know, uh, additionally on the side. So don't worry if you don't have an affiliate organization, just send us your nominations directly to the awards committee and I will share how to send those in uh, towards the end here. And then what's the next step? So each organization has their winner mm -hmm. and what happens next? Well, then they submit that um, name to um, the awards committee for KWLA um, and then they just ship us there by email. <laughs> they send us their documents, uh, uh, all the letters of recommendation, the essay, the curriculum vitae. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have those documents and that becomes kind of our pool from which we decide our outstanding teacher award winner overall. Um, and that person is the state World Language Teacher of the Year, correct? Yes, that, that becomes our state World Language Teacher overall, the person that we mm -hmm. select out of that pool from those affiliate organizations. Um, what happens is um, we get those names hopefully by the summer, and then by August we begin to kind of work on deliberating and looking at those candidates really strongly um, and seriously. And then we also, at the conference, we work in a live, in-person, face-to-face interview. And this year it's going to take place on Thursday night before the first day of our fall conference, which starts on Friday in September. And we will have like sh a short list of three questions that we will ask each candidate and we will uh, discuss their, uh, we will write notes as they you know respond to those questions. And then we will have kind of deliberations after we've met with each of them. And then we'll announce the winner as a kind of a big reveal at our annual KWA Awards Banquet, which is always held on Saturday. Right. Now, just to kind of point out, um, the process you just explained and the requirements a teacher has to submit to be considered for the specific language teacher of the year and the overall world language teacher of the year for Kentucky, that is articulated with the next step. So mm -hmm. the winner, when they move on to SCULT, um, and if they win, which we've had good success uh, the last few years, two years, two years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, if that person moves on to actful, what 
Kentucky is requiring will help you. It starts to build the big portfolio one needs to move on to the next level and the next. So you've worked very hard on that articulation, Ben, and, and I want to give you, you know, kudos to that because it's it helps. It's mm-hmm. overwhelming when you are having to deal with that as the teacher of the year mm-hmm. and you're like, wait, I need a what? And this isn't used anymore. So you've really honed in that process. I want to say thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that coming that. from somebody who's been through the process, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You yourself uh, were our uh, Teacher of the Year in 2015 and then the Skolt winner in 2016 and vied for the national oh. title that oh, year. Thanks. And uh, that was in Boston. And uh, and I was uh, thrilled and happy to see you uh, go on to uh, represent Kentucky at all those levels. And I'm just uh, completely you know thrilled that that happened on my watch, for mm-hmm. one thing. Um, yes, a lot of work goes into this awards committee. Um, it's not something that you that it's not something that I take lightly I take it very seriously Um, and because I want us to look good whenever we go and leave the state so I think we're well preparing Uh the teacher to have potential success at the regional level absolutely and so that's you wanted me to talk about what happens basically once they win our award at our fall conference uh, the next step is to help prepare them and I basically just start uh, emailing them and call them or Skype with them and getting them uh, uh, kind of thinking about going to the next conference, uh, the regional level, which is SCOLT for us, uh, the Southern Conference on Language Teaching. Um, and we, uh, the thing about that they have to keep in mind is that the, uh, the documentation that they submit to us becomes part of a portfolio right. that will travel with them as they go to the next levels. And it gets kicked up a notch at Skolt. They have to add more pieces to their portfolio at Skolt that we don't have. And so I make sure they're aware of that and that um, they begin working on that as early as possible so that they're well prepared to go to that. And I also try to kind of prep them for the fact that, as you know, the interview process at Skolt is a little bit more uh, maybe intimidating or a little bit more challenging. Uh, I. Having not been through that myself, I, I don't want to say too much on that, but um, those are um, the things that they can expect whenever they mm-hmm. leave Kentucky. And we at Kaybley, we try to help them with that, those next steps as much as we possibly can, uh, mentally and financially, actually. Right. Well, that's true. Financially, um, KWLA does support that teacher because you will have to travel mm-hmm. on to that next level wherever it is. And, for example, this year it's in um, Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta, yes. yes. Uh, coming up in a month. So excited and hoping listeners might go there. So just real quick, I want to recap mm-hmm. just to kind of share with you our success on that. You know, Laura was our Teacher of the Year in 2015. She won at Skolt in 2016. And then the year after, um, tw- two years in a row, our Teacher of the Year for 2016, Dr. Brenna Bird here at the University of Kentucky, also went on to Skolt in 2017 and won there and vied for the national title at Actville in Nashville, which I got to actually go to Nashville uh, for Actville this year, uh, this past year, and was thrilled to yeah. see that in person. And I was just the fact that it happened two years in a row, I was just floored uh, when that happened. Uh, on my watch, again, it was just a, a real treat. Um, and this year, our Teacher of the Year, uh, Christine Hutchins mm-hmm. from uh, Louisville, will be going to school in uh, Atlanta in March. Right. And fingers crossed for her. Yes. So when one is the Kentucky toy, mm-hmm. uh, what responsibilities and more importantly, in what way might the teacher be asked to advocate for world languages? So once we have named our Teacher of the Year, um, which, by the way, we call our 
award, the Outstanding Teacher Award, and that's something that I think gets lost. <laughs> Sometimes some people are kind of confused a little bit about that. But um, once we name our Teacher of the Year, um, our Outstanding Teacher, the um, the thing we have them do is that we have them sign a commitment form promising that they will continue to work with KWLA over a kind of a two-year period, that they'll be in, in attendance at our conference, um, that they'll co-present our new teacher workshop that we offer at, every year right. at the conference. And they co-present that with the person who wins in the Outstanding New Teacher Award category, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, we also ask the Teacher of the Year to serve on the awards committee for the next year so that they can help us decide upon the next winner to who's going to succeed them. Um, and after that, really, the sky's kind of the limit. I'd love to see if do more um, in the past, we used to have them um, take on a very active role in advocacy whenever we had an event called Languages and uh, Legislators. But we it's an event we used to sponsor years ago, and it's kind of went by the wayside. We would actually, around this time, we would have students from schools go and uh, meet at the Capitol building and actually do language tasks. Right, I remember that. Yeah, wow, it's that's been, been years. A while. Right. And, and we would have our teacher of the year on hand to kind of talk with legislators on that day to kind of advocate advocate for the profession that day um, we are going to probably try to you know work in things like that in the future and, I th and again it's there's so many possibilities mm -hmm. um, but we want the teacher year of course to be as uh, willing to uh, participate in any of those activities that we might schedule. So I think also mm -hmm. uh, the Teacher of the Year is often asked by our KDE leader, uh, Alfonso de Torres Nunez, to write an article mm -hmm. or um, advocate for world languages through his Global Competency in World Languages, um, I don't know the right term for it, um, bulletin mm -hmm. uh, that he puts out. Um, I know the Kentucky teacher came and did an article, you know, talked to me and so on. Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed how many different places um, you can voice uh, how important world languages is. So, you mm -hmm. know, I UK. Certainly. The um, UK alumni, I don't, what's it called? UK alumni magazine? Well, oh, the magazine. The did magazine a on you, did a yes. feature. I mean, the family magazine. It, you have different opportunities. So um, I think each toy has been had a different experience right. um, at what that moment brings them. Mm -hmm. um, are there deadlines that one needs to remember for um, nominating or anything like that for the Kentucky toy? So for the Teacher of the Year process, uh, we are asking our members to begin sending us their nominations now by email to the president, again, of their appropriate chapter for their affiliate organization, and make sure that that corresponds again to the language and level at which the candidate teaches as much as possible. Um, the complete list of presidents for the chapters that we have here in Kentucky um, of our national affiliate organizations can be found on the webpage for the Outstanding Teacher Award, um, which is just kwla.org forward slash outstanding hyphen teacher hyphen award forward slash. Um, we are asking our members to please begin submitting those nominations now, right away, by and or around uh, April 15th. After that, remember that the next step is to work with your candidate to help them collect and amass all of the documents that I mentioned earlier that are required to complete their candidacy for the award and to submit those um, to the leadership of the affiliate organizations. And we are asking that that be done by around May 15th. So that, that gives the leadership another month thereafter to look over that from hopefully a, a good pool of candidates um, and then send us an, uh, who their outstanding Spanish, German, Japanese, French, et cetera, teacher of the year is going to be 
by hopefully around June 15th. Um, and then that gives us at KWLA and our awards committee this summer to kind of start getting to know these people um, and to look over their documents uh, so that when we convene in August, we can begin really uh, zeroing in on who we want to be our outstanding teacher overall. Okay, so April 15th, if you're listening, that mm -hmm. is your deadline to start the process of nominating either yourself or someone else who you think is deserving. Mm -hmm. um, now, you've alluded to that there are some other awards that KWA supports. Uh, can you explain those? Yes, so uh, we have four other awards categories currently for which we give awards each year from KWA at our conference. Um, there's the Outstanding New Teacher Award that I mentioned earlier, and that focuses on recognizing and highlighting the significant and outstanding performance of our youngest rookie teachers who have in such a short time already begun exemplifying the qualities of our outstanding teacher um, and to a high degree. Um, so to kind of distinguish more between the outstanding new teacher and the outstanding teacher, uh, the awards committee felt it was kind of necessary to set a threshold of experience in terms of years of teaching. So for instance, uh, to be eligible for the outstanding teacher award, we ask that those candidates be having uh, somewhere around five years minimum teaching experience. Mm -hmm. And then conversely, candidates for the outstanding new teacher award can have anywhere from one to four years of teaching experience okay, that makes in order sense. to be eligible for the award. Right. Yes. Um, so the next word to discuss after that is a very special one in terms of advocating for a profession, and that is the Outstanding Administrator Award. And this is where KWLA says thank you to a deserving administrator who has went out of their way in some significant manner to show support for oral language teachers, students, and learning in general at their schools and institutions, as well as in their spheres of influence in the community. Just so we're clear about what we mean as far as the title of administrator, we have outlined that on the page for this award on our website, what constitutes in our mind as someone who serves in the type of administrative role at all levels of instruction, K through 16. So we're very clear on you know what we mean by administrator. And we've had some issues with that in the past when people send us some uh, nominations for that. But it's all on the uh, website as far as um, who we're looking for. Uh, as far as the administrator goes. Um, furthermore, to advocate for a profession, we also give out an award called the Amici Linguarum Award, which is Latin for friend of languages. I hope I made Dr. Zero <laughs> proud with that one. Uh, and it's given to an outside agency, business, institution, individual, or group whose primary operations lie normally outside the realm of oral language education. And it's given to those people who show support in big and significant ways for teachers and learners of oral languages. And lastly, we have a very special award that we give out to celebrate the contributions and immense impact of professionals from the world language teaching field who have devoted a lifetime of service to benefiting um, the lives of learners and teachers of world languages, both within the state and beyond. Um, and this is this happens on many levels. Um, so we, what I'm talking about is um, our prestigious uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. It's, uh, if you're the recipient of this award, you are a living legend and you've done so much over the course of a very long and prolific career to positively impact and grow the profession, increase the capacity for linguistic and cultural, intercultural competencies among literally generations of language learners in the state. Okay, that's um, pretty robust, <laughs> the awards that KWA supports. Are there any final thoughts you have you wanna share? Well, our website is always the best place to start. Uh, we work very hard at KWA to make all necessary information and resources available to our members via this site. It's a very, very easy website address to remember again, kwla.org. Um, once there at the top of the homepage again, there's a tab labeled awards. Click on that and you'll find a drop-down box that has all of these awards that I just mentioned, and you can go right to the uh, specific award that you are looking for. Um, 
for these other awards that I just mentioned, the ones that are kind of separate from our Teacher of the Year, um, there's a special list of required documents for each of those awards that kind of differ from the Teacher of the Year process I want to mention, so be careful and, and be cognizant of that. Um, and um, just consult those pages for more information. And there's the list of documents will change from award to award. Um, if you nominate somebody for those awards, like Lifetime Achievement and Miki Linguarum, Outstanding Administrator and Outstanding New Teacher, there is also a link on those pages to our online nomination form that our members can fill out and submit, submit an electronic nomination to the awards committee. Um, and the deadline for nominations plus all the documents that have to be turned in for those awards um, needs to be done by June 15th. Okay. So, and uh, the online nomination form is um, uh, handled through Google Forms and it goes straight to me. I have access to it all the time. It's live and open and ready for uh, customers. It's ready to receive nominations. Um, as always, if you have any questions, issues, or concerns, or even suggestions, anything at all about awards, please do not hesitate me to email me at any time. I want to hear from you. Uh, my email address uh, is also on those awards pages, um, awards at kwla.org. And um, I look forward to seeing who will be nominated for an award this year. And I certainly am very much looking forward and hoping to see you all at our conference this year at the Griffin Gate Marriott Spa and Resort here in Lexington, Kentucky, September 21st to the 23rd. It has been an extreme honor and privilege to serve as the awards chair. And thank you all so much for having me here today with you all. Well, thank you, Ben, and it's been a pleasure, and thank you for articulating um, about the World Language Teacher of the Year uh, program and how that plays into advocacy. We really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. So it's almost time to end the podcast, and with that is the polyglotting news. Joining us from KWA is the Interim Vice President, Ben McMain. And Ben, uh, you have several updates to share. What do you have? Hi, thanks, Laura. Here are the updates from KWLA. So the KWLA board has undergone a few changes since fall with President Lucas Gravitt and President-elect Manuel Anama-Green both turning over the leadership to Sarah Meredith, immediate past president, and Ben McMain, interim vice president. And we want to thank them for their years of service to KWLA. Uh, we also want to welcome Jill Susini and Sarah Loveless as new regional rep liaisons. So KWLA is continuing with its spring PD offerings. This spring's offering is investigating and interacting with interculturality, engaging learners to the new standards, which guides teachers through the new 2017 successful ACTFL can-do statements for intercultural communication. The KWA PD creation team consisted of teachers from across Kentucky, all across Kentucky, of various languages, German, Chinese, Spanish, French, and Latin, and with teachers from elementary, middle, high, immersion, and long-distance learning environments as well. Facilitated sessions are being presented across the Commonwealth from February 20th through March 8th. You can sign up on kwla.org slash professional development, or you can also click on the professional development tab, uh, or, or from the resources drop-down tab, click on the resources tab and, and go to professional development from the kwla.org website. You can also sign up directly at tinyurl.com slash kwla18signup. The KWLA 2018 Showcase will be March 24th 
from 8.30 a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. at the Jacobs Building at the University of Kentucky. The showcase is an amazing opportunity for students to show what they can do with the language, show what they can do in the language. Um, learn more by visiting uh, kdbla.org slash state showcase. The price is $12 per student to cover costs of materials and trophies. And you can watch the explanatory video at tinyurl.com slash kwla showcase video. We're looking forward to an exciting day uh, with classes taught by the University of Kentucky's Modern and Classical Languages, Literatures, and Cultures Department, as well as dance classes from the Salsa Center. And also Hispanic Studies. And also the Hispanic Studies Department as well at the University of Kentucky. So the 2018 KWLA Fall Conference, Connecting the Commonwealth Proficiency to Practice, as Ben mentioned, will be held at the Griffin Gate Marriott Resort and Spa in Lexington, Kentucky on September 21st to 22nd. We are currently accepting proposals uh, for sessions, so please submit your proposal at uh, kwla.org or uh, you can submit it directly at tinyurl.com slash kwla18proposal. The deadline for proposals is May 1st, uh, 2018. Uh, so go ahead and put September 21st and 22nd on your calendar and plan to connect with language educators from across the Commonwealth and beyond. Your voice is valued at KWA and we want to hear from you. So remember what Ted said, grab a colleague, someone who doesn't often uh, interact or um, probably could use some networking with peers to um, impact his or her instructional practices and encourage him or her to attend the KWA conference with you. If you have anything you do in the classroom, something that you're really proud of, please submit a presentation. Hearing from teachers that we haven't often heard from is exciting. Hearing from those who we hear from all the time is always wonderful. Um, the more presentations, the stronger the conference. So please plan to attend and go on and hit up your administrators to save you some money. We know money's going to be tight. Uh, tell them how important this conference is. We're going to be highlighting the national uh, new can-do standards, which uh, KWA is doing the PD on. So that's kind of your fresh start to it. But uh, let your principal know that you need to go so you can find out about the national standards. It's imperative. And so if you can kind of hook them into it right now, maybe some money will come your way. But next, we have Jean Marie sharing the university updates. Thanks, Laura. Well, I want to echo Ben's comments about the World Language Showcase um, that's coming up on March 24th on UK's campus. It's always one of our best events of the year. We look forward to it. Our graduate students are there, our undergraduates are there, as our faculty presenting cultural activities as well as engaging in the competitions. And apparently we're not alone because on March 15th, Murray State University's Department of Global Languages is hosting its Global Language Showcase. Over 350 language students from elementary through high schools throughout the region are converging on the third floor of the Curris Center this year. They will participate in a variety of competitive events highlighting world languages and cultures, including drama, chorus, dance, recitation of a literary passage, and projects, including models, artwork, costumes, and videos. The showcase provides students an opportunity to show off developing language and culture skills, and students will discuss in the target language cultural, artistic, or historical significance of their project or performance. A varsity level for projects offers a higher level of competition for top students. 
Additional activities, including hands-on culture tables, which allow students to expand their knowledge and appreciation for world cultures and languages, will also occur. Students will see performances of classical guitar, practice Japanese calligraphy, and play games involving geography or language skills. The Murray State University Global Language Showcase provides opportunities for students and teachers to interact with university faculty and students who are serving as directors and judges. More information can be found on their website at the Murray State Global Language Showcase. The College of Arts and Sciences at UK is offering substantial scholarships for U.S. citizens interested in pursuing a Master of Arts in Teaching Chinese with certification. Applications for the program and scholarships are due on March 15th. Information may be found at mcl.as.uky.edu slash Chinese-teacher-certification-scholarship-applications. <laughs> thank you, Jean Marie. Sure. This wraps up our pod podcast on advocacy. I wish to thank our guests, Jean Marie Rouillet Willoughby, Ted Zero, and Ben Hawkins. Also, special thanks to the University of Kentucky for providing the technology, location, and broadcasting of our podcast. This is Laura Roche Youngworth for Language Talk KWA saying au revoir and happy advocating. <laughs>